Good morning. How you guys doing? That was fun, huh? We should have palm branches all the time. That just like took everything to the next level. All righty, kids are out. Can we just, for a moment, can we give a round of applause for our worship team and just thank them for what they do? They're so faithful and they practice throughout the week and there's a lot of work that goes into what happens here on Sunday morning and I just feel so grateful for them and the way that they lead us into the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and I want to take a second just to thank Joel for coming today. As worship started, oh, let's give a round of applause. Yeah, go for it. I don't know Joel personally. I met him for like two minutes before we did this morning. And, you know, we got to talk real fast. And, and, uh, but as worship started and I was waiting on the Lord, one of the very first things that I heard was the Lord just said, Corey, Joel is my friend. Just so clear. It's like he wanted me to know that. Like, Joel is my friend. I've been walking with him for a long time. And uh, so, Joel, I don't know you, but I really sense that you are a friend of the Lord and that you've walked with him for a long time and that you've, that you've been on quite a journey with him, that there's been a lot of dynamics to the journey and up and down, different terrain that you've been on with him and, um, and that you have sat with him. You can just feel it when you minister that you've sat long with him and that you've been at the table with him and that you've been transformed by him and uh, that the Lord really trusts you and that he's someone, you're someone that he's found faithful and loyal. Um, that as his eyes scan looking for the loyal hearted, that you're just, you're one of those that's been so loyal to him. So thank you for coming this morning and for ministering to us. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you. So friend of God. Um, all right, you guys ready to rock? Okay, so today is Palm Sunday, and uh, I, I want to tell a few different stories to you from the scripture that I feel like are going to kind of get our hearts ready for this week. Um, and for some of you, you might come from a tradition where the church calendar was really important. You might come from a tradition where this week would have been a really big deal that you would have perhaps even participated in Lent, and you, you might have spent a whole season of fasting and consecration kind of getting yourself ready for the events of this week, Holy Week, Passion Week, the week where we really kind of slow down and pause and remember what Jesus did on the cross, and then, of course, celebrate the resurrection on Easter. And, uh, and some of you might not have come from a tradition like that, um, and if you haven't, I want to invite you to really give yourself to this week, this year, to, to make it a big deal, to kind of block it out on your calendar and to say, you know, from here, from Palm Sunday up to Easter Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday, that celebration that we're going to have next week, to every day give yourself to remembering Jesus and to remembering the events that happened here. I don't know if you know this, but the Gospels, some of them spend up to a fourth all the way up to a third of what they wrote describing the events of this week. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they took a massive chunk of what was written and they dedicated it to the details of this week. We get more details about this week of the life of Jesus than any other week in his life. Right? And we get it four different times from four different angles, from four different authors. And they really, really, really wanted us to understand what this week was about. And they wanted us to understand how 
it went from Jesus coming in and everyone saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. It's him. He's here. And they were celebrating and they were worshiping. And a week later, they were screaming, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what do you, crucify him? Like, that's a little intense. No, crucify him. The whole crowd that had been worshiping a week previous was now screaming for his execution. And there was a lot that happened throughout that week that, that went from Hosanna in the highest to crucify him. And so I want to encourage you to go on a journey this week in the scriptures. Go back and reread it and to see what happened. But I have a message for us today, today that I think is going to prepare our hearts to get ready for that. And I want to, I just, you probably know these stories, but I want to share them again. It's, it's the story of Mary of Bethany. And uh, I love the story of Mary of Bethany. When I was a teenager, I was marked in a very deep way with the story of, of Mary of Bethany. I was inspired by her. And, uh, and I wanted to be like her. And again, some of you will know her story and some of you won't. But I want to just look at three different scenes from her life and her interactions with Jesus. And I, I think that will bring us into the heart posture that's fitting for this special week. So if we can get the slides up, I think they got them back there. Um, the first one, do we have them up there? Thumbs up. Okay, the first one is going to start out in Luke 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 10. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. And uh, if you don't, I've got it up on the screen. Font's a little small, but hopefully you can read it. Can you get, give me a thumbs up if you can read it? Okay, most of you can. Sweet. The rest of you are going to schedule an eye doctor appointment afterwards. So let's go to Luke 10. Okay. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you for what you are already doing this morning. Thank you for how your spirit is, is hovering, resting upon us, moving to and fro in the room, ministering heart to heart. Thank you for your angels that are here, that are in our midst, ministering servants that are like a flame of fire that ride on the wind and that, that minister to us, especially when the word is being preached and when Jesus is being exalted, oh, your spirit and your angels love to, to move and to do wild things, and we invite you to do that. Lord, we honor everything that you've done up until this point in the service, and we're asking that these next, these next few minutes, God, that you would continue to move, Lord. And Lord, I'm asking for tender hearts this morning, Lord, for, for a, a, a fresh sensitivity to come into the heart this morning, for hearts to just blossom and open and for gates to be flung open and doors that have been locked to unlock and emotions that have been backed up to to come out and for love and affection for Jesus to just explode this morning as we read these stories and come and do what you want to do God I ask in your name amen all righty here we go so we're going to start out in Luke 10 uh, we're just going to read these three stories. I really want to get lost in the scriptures today and to get caught up in the narrative. That's, that's really the point, okay? So it says this, Luke 10. This is the, the first time in the gospel narratives that we are going to be introduced to this young woman named Mary and her sister Martha. And later we're going to learn about some other people who live in their community, including her brother Lazarus. But this is where we find them. So it says, now... As they went on their way, and it's referring to Jesus and his disciples and 
the crew that was traveling around with him doing ministry. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And in this text, it doesn't tell us the name of the village, but it will later in John. It's the village of Bethany, which was about two miles outside of the, the bigger city of Jerusalem. So you had the city of Jerusalem, and not far from that was a really small village called Bethany. Again, about two miles just across the valley. And uh, it says, And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay? And I want to pull a couple of things about this just as we're building the context. The fact that it's citing that, it, that it's Martha who welcomed him and hosted him, and that it's her house probably indicates a few things. One, it is probably indicating to us that Martha was not married. It is likely that Martha was not married, and it is likely that Mary was also not married. Um, otherwise, the house would have probably been identified with her husband, right? So this is Martha, and this is Mary. The other thing that's interesting is for it to be identified with a woman probably means that their parents had already passed away. Because if not, it would have been their father's household or their mother's household, and they would have been residing in the household of their parents, with their parents, until they were of age to marry, and then they got married. And so the, we don't know this for sure, but most scholars would say that the text is indicating to us that their parents had passed away, and we don't know the circumstances there, and Lazarus and Martha and Mary remained and Martha and Mary were living together in a house. And when Jesus came to town, they welcomed him. They invited him. And they offered to host his crew, um, which I'm sure that they were, after they'd been on the road, they were going to want a place to sleep and they were going to want a place to eat. And so when they said, hey, we got room for you, come on in. They said, all right, we're staying with you guys. So this is kind of the context where this is all about to happen, Okay. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. And here's the very first thing that we learn about Mary, and I think this is going to be critical to everything else that happens in her story. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. All right? So this is the, the very first thing that we learn about Mary is that when Jesus came to town, she made the bold decision to sit at his feet. Now, this is a very specific phrase that was used within the Jewish culture, the Jewish tradition, for placing yourself as a student or a disciple at the feet of a teacher which was also called a rabbi. And you've probably run into that term if you've read the Gospels. Rabbi, rabbi, teacher, teacher. And the, the odd thing about what Mary is doing here is that if you were a woman at that time, especially a young woman, especially a single woman, you probably would not be sitting at the feet of a teacher as a student especially a young male teacher. Now, this is something really bold that she decides to do. She, she goes in and she decides to sit down because she wants to be a student. She wants to be 
a disciple. She wants to listen. She wants to hear the word. She wants to be in the presence of Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus allows it to happen. So if you were a first century Jewish reader of this text, this would immediately stick out to you. What did she just do? What did she just do? In our modern reading, we don't catch that, right? We, we, believe, we, we believe that, yeah, both men and women can sit at the feet and learn. But this would have been really strange for them. So we learn from the very beginning that Mary is bold. We learn from the very beginning that Mary is courageous. We learn from the very beginning that Mary is willing to be a little countercultural, that she's willing to kind of push past some of the norms, some of the boundary lines, some of those things in their culture that they said this far and no further. But Mary was an individual that when it came to Jesus, she knew that there was something about him that was worth stepping over those lines and those boundaries and those go this far and no further. And when it came to Jesus, Mary knew, no, this man is special. I have to be at his feet. I have to be at his feet. And so she goes and she takes a seat there. Now, here's the, here's the troublesome part about this. Um, I just told you that Jesus came in with a big crew and they're being hosted. They have no parents who are going to help out. It's Martha's house and she's got her one sister Mary living with her. And they're, they're hosting a large group of men who have been traveling. They're all hungry. And in Jesus' crew, they're all like teenage to young adult boys. I don't know if you guys have ever hosted teenage to young adult boys, but in my house, my house was like in high school, the hosting house. And my mom frequently hosted me and my soccer team or me and my friends from track or me and my friends from youth group. And I know that when 10 to 15 teenager young adult boys descended upon the house, right, it was like locusts swarming in and devouring the fields like we would just like we would just bust in smelling bad we would trample into the house we would all hit the kitchen we would go to the pantry and we would just start devouring everything out of it pop tarts were being cooked and Reese cups were being made and sandwiches were out on the countertops my mom's flurrying around trying to take care of us all right like this is what happened to Martha's household and you can just imagine as Martha is trying her best to host and to welcome them and to prepare the meal and to make sure everyone has something to drink and to make sure they all had a place to put their, right? She's doing everything. She, she's looking out and she's probably wondering through that process, where's Mary? What is, what is she doing? Oh, she's probably helping somewhere else. And then you can imagine that moment here. Here, I want to get into the text. It says this. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And sometimes when you hear preachers preach this passage, they just like to rail on Martha. Like, Martha, how could she be distracted with much serving? Like, boo, Martha. Like, that is not the point of the text. She just had an army of young adults descend upon her house, hungry and tired and thirsty. Of course, Martha was distracted with much serving. Any Jewish woman who was hosting this group of people would have been distracted with much serving. Can I, can, can I get the ladies who host? Can I get an amen? 
Come on, sisters. Come on, give me something there. All of you are like, that's right. That's right. Now I want you to imagine that your sister is out on her keister sitting, listening to the guest while you're in the kitchen. Some of you are like, that's what my sister does do at the family holidays. Come to my house on Thanksgiving or Christmas and you'll see Mary. I'll tell you how I feel about Mary, right? Like you're the one who's hustling and bustling and getting everything ready and you're sacrificing and you're distracted with much serving and there's Mary sitting down with the men doing a big fat nothing, right? And you can just imagine Martha like peeking out the first time and she's like, okay, I'll give her five minutes. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, I'm, I'll just go back and work on the hummus. And then you can imagine Martha coming out 10 minutes later and her face is getting like a little, like, all right, Mary, like I know Jesus is important and I know you want to learn, but you better get your butt in here. You've got five more. And then you can imagine Martha coming out again, that type A personality is how I imagine her. Like a, and she's just like, oh no, like I can't hold it any longer. And so Martha actually gets to the point where she's going to cause a scene a little bit. The teacher is teaching and Martha gets to the point where she can't, she can't take it anymore. And Mary's about to get it. And so Martha comes out and it says, she went up to him and here's what she said. And this is actually a really, this actually kind of, really shows us what was in her heart, what was going on in her emotions. She comes straight to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care? You see me hustling and bustling. You see me stressed out and overwhelmed. You see me trying to get everything ready for this big group. Do you not care? That's a deep question, right? Lord, do you not care? And here's what she wants to know if he cares about. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So she kind of throws Mary under the bus there, right? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So Martha has probably been giving Mary the look for like a solid 30 minutes And Mary was like, do you know what I mean? Like, nope, not looking, not looking, not looking. I'm not coming. And finally, she goes straight to the master, straight to the teacher and says, you tell her. She won't listen to me. So you tell her to get off her bum and to come help me. And if you're reading this story, the expectation would be that Jesus would turn to Mary and say, hey, Mary, get off your bum and go help your sister. Right? Doesn't that sound like the Christian thing to say? Like, that's what I'd probably say to my kids. Get off your tush and go help them. She really needs some help. But this, Jesus, Jesus just flips the whole thing. And this is what he does all the time. He says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And I would encourage you to go and to study the different times when Jesus says someone's name twice. It's, it's always in a moment where he really wants to get into their heart. I don't know if you've ever had the Lord say your name twice. There's been a few times where I've gotten the Corey. Corey. It's like, oh, he just, it's like when your parents say your middle name. You know, it's like, oh, you're about to, you're about to 
you're about to go straight for the heart. And here's what he says to Martha. And he actually flips it and he corrects her instead and where her heart was at. He says, Martha, Martha. Just explodes with compassion and with tenderness and with concern. And when he says her name twice, he actually answers the question, Lord, do you not care? Martha, Martha. And what he's showing her is, I do care. I do care. But he's going to show her what he actually cares about. He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He goes straight into her heart. You're distracted. It's not that you're serving. We're called to serve. We all know that. No, it's that you're distracted. You're anxious. You're troubled. You're offended at your sister. You're so angry that you were willing to burst into the room and to interrupt everything to try to get justice because you feel like you were wronged by her. Another translation is, you are busy and bothered. Have you guys ever been in that place in your heart? I work at Chick-fil-A down the road, and I can say sometimes I get busy and bothered. There's moments at work, there's, we've, got, we've got three kids, little young kids. There's times at home where we are busy and bothered. Where you get pushed to that point, and where the Lord has to come and get me by the face, and Corey... Corey, you are busy and bothered. You're concerned about so many things. But let me recalibrate you. Let me reorient you. Let me get you centered again. But one thing is necessary. Or there's one thing that is really needed. And I can't prove this textually, but I think that this is a direct callback to Psalm 27, 4, or that same phrase, one thing that I desire, one thing have I need, have need of, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, that I would get to sit before you, that I would get to contemplate your beauty, and that I would get to inquire, ask you questions. That's what David said he wanted to do, and he says, Martha, Martha, there is one thing that is needed. One thing. When the Lord is in the room, there's one thing that you're supposed to do, and that's to drop everything and to sit at his feet. Serving is right most of the time. Working is right most of the time. Your sister should help you most of the time, but you're missing the moment. You're missing the fact that the king is in the room. And when the king is in the room, you pause everything to sit down at his feet. When the word of God made flesh is in your living room, you go into your living room and you sit down at his feet and you open your ears and you listen. There's one thing that is needed. And Mary has chosen the better part. And it will not be taken away from her. In this moment, he vindicates Mary. The story takes a complete plot twist. And he vindicates Mary. And he puts his stamp of approval on the choice that she made. 
And this is the start of, of their relationship. We're, I, I could say so much more about this passage, but I want us to keep moving. I want you to see as this starts to unfold in Mary's life. So we're going to go to our next passage. I want you guys to flip over to John 11. We're going to start at the beginning of John 11. We'll skip down a little bit. It's going to bring us into a second story about this family. This family that Jesus befriended and that he got close with. It says, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, which is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. I'm going to skip down a little bit, but it tells us that um, that Lazarus is, is Mary's brother and Martha's brother and that he is ill. Okay, So this is the setup. And in verse 3 says this, So the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Which if you know what's about to happen next in the story, this might have you scratching your head a little bit. Right? This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I just want to read this next verse and then we'll go forward. But it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I don't, I don't know what that verse does to your heart but when I read that little verse Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus Jesus loved them something has happened between our last story and this story where they went from hosting Jesus the first time being strangers then going to the point where they were acquaintances they're sitting at his feet and they're having dinner with him and they're trying to get to know him to now time has passed and the gospel writer is able to say that they had become very close friends that Jesus had a special place in his heart with this with for this family and he loved going to their house and I was meditating on this this week and I just found myself weeping over this passage saying, I want you to say the same thing about me. That if someone was writing, they would say, Jesus loved Corey and Anna. Jesus loved them. Jesus was very close with them. Jesus was, had a special friendship with them. Whenever Jesus came to town, he wanted to stay at their house because he wanted to be close to them because he enjoyed the conversation with them. And Anna's a really good cook, so he would have liked, he would have liked to be at our house. Don't you, isn't, isn't there something that rises up in your heart that feels like if Jesus came to Tip City, Ohio, and he was going to only be here for two days and he had to pick who to stay with, I'm a little bit competitive. There's this thing in me that says, like, I want you to come to my house. You know, Zacchaeus was so eager for Jesus to stay at his house, he climbed up in a tree and he screamed above everyone else, come to dinner at my house. Come be with me. Like, 
When I read this, that's what I want, that if he came to Tip City, he would come to my house. He'd want to be at my table. And I'm sure there's some of you who want to wrestle me for it. Some of you are in the room, and you're like, no, if Jesus came to Tip City, Ohio, he's going to my house. And we'd arm wrestle and, right? Like, don't you feel that? That jealousy of, I, I would want him to come to me. Sorry. I want that friendship. I want that deep friendship. I want to be like Joel. I don't know Joel, but I feel like he I feel like he's a friend of God. He's walked with him for years. I feel like Jesus comes and sits at Joel's table. I just feel confident about that about you. Just in a little bit we spent together. I want that in my life. Don't you want it? Woo, sorry that got me. My own preaching at least got one person today, so. Win. It's a big win. Let's keep going. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to do one of those. So he comes over to their house. Says that he loved them. Now I'm going to skip over part of the passage, and you you already know what happens if you've if you've been introduced to this story before. Jesus says to his disciples, this illness will not end in death. And the next sentence is like, Lazarus died. And you're like, what in the world? Jesus, you might have missed that prophetic word. Like, maybe, you you know, like they're all, the disciples are scratching their head and saying, oh man, maybe you said this wasn't going to end in death. And then they were super confused. And, and, and Jesus intentionally doesn't go down. It says, this is crazy in the passage, it says he could have gone directly from the city that he was in to their city and made it in time before Lazarus died. And it says that Jesus intentionally chose to stay a few more days. You got to wrestle with that theologically. What happens when Jesus could come and give you a breakthrough right when you ask for it and he waits a few days? And do you still love him and know him and trust him and hold your heart before him even when Jesus chooses to wait a few days on that breakthrough because it will bring glory to his Father and glory to the Son of God? And there's times where he does things, the timing piece on how God works is sometimes so difficult to understand. But he's good. All right, let's go down. Oh, it disappeared. We're going to go down a little bit in the passage. We're going to go down to verse 17. So Lazarus dies. Jesus spends a few more days where he is. He gets news that he died. And then he comes down to Bethany to meet with him. And here's what happens when he arrives. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. So you know from the last story, sometimes Martha gets a bad rap, but don't, don't, don't believe that. Martha had a very, very deep and close relationship with Jesus. It says that he loved her, right? So Martha immediately comes out to Jesus and says, but Mary remained seated in the house. Mary is a professional at staying seated, 
She, she is very good at this. Every time anything's happening, Mary was found sitting. Um, so that's what she, Martha goes out and Mary stays seated. Let's go. And Martha said to Jesus, and listen to this quote because we're going to see it again later. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, like what hope, what faith. Like her brother just died and Jesus rolled up and she still had the confidence and the trust in him to say, if you would have been here, I know that he wouldn't have died because you would have healed him. And listen to what she says next. She goes a step further and she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. So she says, she's saying, I believe that right here, right now, you can go raise my brother from the dead. She, she has hope, she has faith, she has confidence. She comes out to meet him and she tells him this. And then this is what Jesus says to her. He says, your brother will rise again. Incredible promise. But Martha doesn't quite know exactly what he's saying. Jesus was pretty cryptic. He would often say things in riddles and parables. And so she's, so she, they start to go into a theological conversation together. And she says this, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, oh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's a very good Jewish thing to say. It's a very, it's a solid Sunday school, like religious thing. I, I know I'm going to see them in heaven one day. I know. And then Jesus says to her, and he gives her this powerful re revelation. This is the first time he ever says this about himself. He says, I and the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the same thing that Peter said to Jesus, that he said, Peter, flesh and bone, did not reveal this to you, but my father, now I call you Peter, for the church will be built on you. Martha gets the same revelation about him that Peter previously got about. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So they have this incredible exchange, and she gets given this, re this revelation that he's the resurrection and the life, and she confesses that he's the Christ, the Son of God, that's powerful. But now I want you to watch what happened when, when Mary comes to him. And there is a difference in just the tone of these two passages. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. The teacher is here and he is calling for you. He's looking around. He finishes talking with Martha and connecting with her. He looks, where's Mary? Where's Mary? Mary, bring her to me. I want to meet with her. He's calling for you. This shows how close they had gotten. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Jesus was like, they're going to have a sitting contest. 
right? Jesus won. She ended up getting up and coming to him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him and noticed what she does, and this is different than what Martha did. There's a little bit of a difference here, right? It says she fell at his feet. Do you see the connection between the two passages? Mary was sitting then, Mary is sitting now. And then she goes, Mary was sitting at his feet. Mary now throws herself at his feet. There's this consistent theme in the life of Mary that she lived at the feet of Jesus. Her life was found at the feet of Jesus. She knew that her hope and her faith and her future was at the feet of Jesus and she had completely cast herself there, surrendered, and she had postured herself at his feet. And then listen to what she says. The exact same thing as her sister. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing as Martha, but she says it from a different posture. She says it from a different position. She says it down at his feet, and something different happens. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just noting that the scriptures show us that something different happened when Mary came and said it. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, so this woman is down at her, his feet. She's weeping at his feet. She looks up at him and she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's not accusing him. She's speaking in faith. And listen to what it says. He was deeply moved in his spirit. You need to get a hold of this verse. If you can get this verse inside of you, it will change your life. Do you know that when you put yourself at the feet of Jesus, and when you look up into his eyes, and when you offer him your tears, and when you weep before him, that something happens on the inside of him? Like we all know that we ought to be moved by Jesus. He's beautiful and he's glorious and he's fantastic and he's powerful, King of kings and Lord of lords and riding on the, we should be moved by him. We should grab our palm branches and wave them and scream and shout, right? If we don't do it, the rocks would do it, the trees would do it, the rivers would do it. Like we all know that we should be moved by him. But if you can understand that he is moved by you, it will do something on the inside of you. It's the story of Song of Solomon, where the bride spends the first half of the book adoring the bridegroom, but there comes a moment in the Song of Solomon where it flips and the bridegroom begins to adore the bride. And he even says to him, to her, turn your eyes away from me for they overwhelm me. I'm overcome by you. Don't you want to get caught up in that reality where we look at him and we're overcome, but then he looks at us and he's overcome. 
We look at him and our hearts are moved and we begin to cry. But here's what you have to get. Sometimes he looks at us and his heart is moved and he begins to cry. That there's an exchange of the heart that happens with Jesus that's so deep and so profound. And it only happens when you've cultivated friendship and when you've sat for a season at his feet. Mary sat at his feet, listened to his word, became his friend, lived before him as a disciple. And then when she comes and looks him in the eyes and says it, his heart is moved. Can I get an amen, church? You with me? It says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then those beautiful two words, shortest verse in the whole Bible, and Jesus wept. And Jesus wept. And you have to ask the question, did Jesus weep because Lazarus died? Or did Jesus weep because he was so deeply moved by Mary and Martha and their confession of faith? And I think it's both, but there's something there. There's something there. We have the power to move him when we've cultivated friendship with him and to move him into action. Ben, I'm going to invite you guys up, and we're going to go into this final passage, and you can just put a little music behind me as we hit this. All right, let's go. Let's go to our final passage. It's going to be in Mark 14. Are you guys okay that I'm not stopping to make that many points? I'm hoping that the narrative is just speaking for itself. Is, it, is the Word of God moving in the room? Okay. I, I, this isn't a three-point sermon. It's just... I just got, I got stories for you, and these stories are some of the most powerful out there. It's Mark 14. So this, this brings us to where we are now. This brings us to where we are now. So just to give you a little bit of the, the story, we're going to have to read into some things. It tells us about this in John. But Jesus goes to the tomb and raises Lazarus from the dead. And when he did that, it actually caused his fame and his influence to go supernova. And it got so loud, the chatter about this man, Jesus from Nazareth, that it was heard in Jerusalem. Now, people from Jerusalem had already started to get upset at Jesus on a few other occasions. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead, everything got really intense, really and fast. And the next passage after that was they began to plot to kill him. And they met up with Judas to betray him. Isn't that crazy that in response to Mary's tears, he went and did something that ended up getting him killed. Everything gets super intense. And, and here we are now headed into Passion Week. What we did today, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And what you might not know is that while, while he was going into Jerusalem on multiple days during that final week, he was staying out in Bethany. So he was coming in two miles and he was going back out two miles. And so Jesus is kind of making this journey in and out of Jerusalem throughout that final week of his life. 
before his crucifixion. And this is a moment that happened, okay? Let's read it. And while he was at Bethany, being hosted in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came in. And it doesn't name the woman in Mark, but it names her in John 12. And you can go read that passage for yourself. And it's Mary. As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. Just to give you a little bit of a visual, this was kind of like an alabaster flask would have been like a vase that would hold oil. And we don't really have a lot of things like this anymore. Costly oils aren't super essential oils. We dig those. But a costly oils, we don't, you know, especially the price we're about to read here in a second. But it was in this oil, which was very costly, and we'll see how costly here in a second. This oil was contained within this protective flask to make sure that it didn't break and that it didn't spill and that it wasn't wasted or that it wasn't lost because it was very, very, very expensive. In fact, it says later that it was worth about 300 denarii, which is the equivalent of a year's wages. You guys are in tax season, sorry to remind you. Um, but a lot of you are staring at what you made last year. I want you to take that number, what you made last year, and I want you to put it into this flask. That is how much this oil was worth. So do the math real quick. That's what she's got inside of this flask, an outrageous amount of money. A lot of scholars believe that the only way that a young woman, single young woman would have had this kind of money is if this was her inheritance from her deceased parents. She wasn't old enough to have earned that amount of money on her own. And she wasn't married as far as we know. So the only way that she would have had access to this is if this was her inheritance. And the thing about it is it was probably her inheritance that when it came time for her to get married, this would have been her bride price. This would have been the only thing that in that culture that they would have been able to give to the potential husband. And that was a part of the custom. So she's got this thing in her hand. It's about a year's wages. It's extremely expensive. It's highly protected. I'm sure that she's been guarding it. It's her treasure. It's also her future. It's also her hope of getting married. This is, man, this is her life, man, inside of this, inside of this alabaster flask. And here's what Mary, outrageous Mary, we've already seen how bold she is, but this is what she decides to do with it. And as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask. Just like driving a Tesla, like straight into a brick wall, like she broke the flask and she poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, and this is a strong word, it means they were very angry with what she did without the amount of money, right? I'm sure that if I took that amount of money and just like lit it on fire here on the stage, you guys would lose it. You know what I mean? And you would probably say what they said. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Keyword, wasted. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more 
than a year's wages and given to the poor and they scolded her. Mary's in trouble again. She's being scolded by them. And they said it's a waste and they all just like Martha did in the first story, they all looked to Jesus for a verdict. Condemn her, punish her. Tell her that what she did was wrong, or at least foolish, or at least immature. Like, give her a little flick on the hand, at least. Like, you don't have to bring your wrath on her, but like, at least tell her that that's not the thing that she should have done with tens of thousands of dollars. Tell her that it was inappropriate. And they gave a really good religious theological reason why it was wrong. That could have been given to the poor. That could have been invested in a different way. And listen to what Jesus said. And most of you already know it, but I want to hear it all over again. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Back off. Stop. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? And listen to this. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus looks at tens of thousands of dollars dripping off of him onto the ground, what the disciples said was waste. They called it waste from their perspective. It was waste. And Jesus called it a beautiful thing. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There is no one else in the whole scripture whose story is woven into the fabric of the gospel. Stand with me, church. We're going to close this thing out. I just want you to posture yourself before the Lord. I feel like his spirit's going to move. Listen to me here for a second. There's no other person. There is no other story. There is no other moment where Jesus says that forever will be preached in the whole world alongside the gospel. So what he's saying is, every time you tell the story of Jesus, tell the story of what Mary did. Every time you tell the story of his death and burial and resurrection, tell the story of what Mary did. Every time you go out and do evangelism and missions and you go to the four corners of the world, spreading the glorious gospel of his grace, tell them the story of what Mary did and you might ask yourself why of all of the wonderful stories in the gospel why the story of Mary why the story of her breaking the alabaster jar why this story and I believe it's because of what John Piper said related to missions is that missions exist where worship doesn't and that the aim of evangelism, the aim of missions, the aim of discipleship, the aim of church, 
the very function of the institution of the church, the reason why we do this is so that people will do that. This, all of this, the structures and the buildings and the finances and the programs and all of it is supposed to lead to people getting to know Jesus at such a level of depth that they want to make that kind of sacrifice, that they want to worship Him like that, that they want to give Him everything, that they'd be willing to blow tens of thousands of dollars on Him, that they'd be willing to break the flask and to pour it all out. that they would get to the point where they wouldn't see it as waste. Do you know that that's where Jesus is trying to get your heart this morning? To the point where you don't see all of the extravagance as waste or extra or too much, but where you've actually seen him and you recognize that that's the only thing that he's worthy of. That this morning when we screamed and shouted and we got wild about Jesus, that wasn't too much, friends, that was too little. Oh, he's worth so much more. But I love what he said about Mary, she did what she could. She gave him what she could. Go ahead and put your hands out in front of you. The only response this morning is worship. I don't have any other specific call. I just feel that there's some of you in this room this morning that God's touching you with the story of Mary of Bethany. And for some of you, I feel like God would say to you this morning, I'm calling you to be like Mary. I'm calling you to be like Mary of Bethany. I'm calling you to sit at my feet and to get to know me and to fall in love with me and then to give me everything. And if your heart is burning this morning with the story of Mary of Bethany and you want to come and pour out your worship upon him, I just want to invite you to come down to the altar. And the band's going to lead us up into worship. You can come now. You don't have to wait. You're saying, my heart is burning to just lavish him. You don't have to wait, just come. Mary burst into the room and she threw herself at his feet and she wiped him with her hair and she washed him with her tears and she, if that's you this morning, you are my treasure. Just come and just begin to worship. Don't wait for the band. Don't wait for the band. Just begin to worship him right where you are. Some of you, you've had tears the whole message and you just need to put him on his feet. Give him your worship right now. Some of you have had a song building up for the past hour. This is your moment. Unleash it. Begin to sing to him. Begin to talk to him. Begin to whisper to him. Begin to weep on his feet. Just give him what's burning in your heart. Break that alabaster flask this morning and pour your oil out. You are my treasure. 
just begin to pour it. Just begin to pour it out. You are my treasure. We're not in a hurry. We're not in a rush. Come on, break through that thing that says that you have to be quiet. Break through that thing that says that you have to be tame. Break through that accusation that says that it's too much. Break through the accusation that says that it's a waste. You are my treasure. My great reward. Come on, give him the extravagance.
it a song I sing? Then here's every melody. Just tell me what moves you. Tell me what moves Man, let's keep it low. Everyone lift your voice and let's sing this. Is it a fragrance? Come on, voices. Then I'll pour my oil out. Is it a lie? Come on, sing it right to him. Nobody else, just Jesus. Is it a song I sing? And here's every melody. Just tell me what moves you. Yes, keep it low. Let's sing that. Come on. Just tell me what moves you. Is it a fragrance? Is it a fragrance? Then I'll pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Then here I'll give my vows. Is it a song I sing? Here's every melody. Just tell me what moves you. Yeah, stay right there. Let's keep singing that. Tell me what moves you. Come on, is it a fragrance? Is it a fragrance? Pour my oil out. Is it a life laid down? Here I give my vows. Is it a song I begin to build that. Is it a fragrance? Is it a fragrance? pause for a second right where you are so guys I know this service is a, a little long today if you need to leave go ahead and go but for some of you, you you're in a moment right now with the Lord we're not going to rush through it so you, it's no disrespect really if you have to go you can go but for those of you some of you need this moment you actually really need this moment you need to just you just need to go extra I want you to close your eyes for a second I want you to put out your hands and I want you to imagine the most costly thing that you've ever lost for Jesus. <laughs> the 
costliest thing that you've ever laid on the altar the highest price that you've ever paid for him and I want you to look him in the eyes and I want you to tell him that it wasn't a waste and that he's worthy for some of you it was voluntary and for some of you it was involuntary but the thing that you lost for Jesus the thing is is Mary never got that back Mary never got that back those tens of thousands of dollars that were on the ground she never got them back when the alabaster flask was broken it was broken for good when the oil was poured out it was poured out for good when she wasted herself on him she never got it back it was a real sacrifice it cost her something great you are my treasure. but it was no waste it was no waste because he was worthy Some of you need to stare your greatest sacrifices in the eyes and say, it was no waste because he's worthy. It was no waste to give what we gave because he was worthy. Because the Lamb of God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and strength and riches. over your sacrifice you are my treasure a man found a treasure in the field and with joy sold it all you are my treasure oh there was a man who found a pearl of great price you are my treasure and he sold it all to purchase the pearl you are my treasure And Peter said, but Lord, we've left behind father and mother. Lord, we've left behind wife and children. Lord, we've left behind fields and houses and lands. Churches need the treasure. You are my treasure. So Lord, I'm asking that you would come right now and that you would rest on our congregation. That you would rest on our community. And that you would make it clear that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that if a man were to give all that he could give to gain Christ, then he had gained it all. 
that you're worth every sacrifice. out too if you want Brady just let's just sing it you are my treasure come on right to him church a couple more times you are my treasure again you are my treasure come on again you are my treasure more times. You are my treasure. Come on, last time, sing it to him. You are my treasure. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If some of you need to linger at the altar, you're welcome. If you need a few more moments, a few more minutes, if you need someone to come down and pray with you, you're, you're just welcome to linger here. And the rest of you, if you could just quietly, we'll begin to make our way out of the sanctuary. We can hang out in the, in the atrium, but let's just give a little space for people to meet with the Lord here. Go give someone a hug. Tell them that Jesus is worth it. Go tell them Jesus is worthy. Love you guys. Have a great week.